I think we're uh, looking at these couple of chapters, Paul and Barnabas out on mission, traveling, and it's going to lead us into a sort of case study and a homework assignment for us because I figured, well, if there will be some children in in church, another thing they would love to hear is that there's homework even when you're older and you're out of school. So um, we're going to look at their interactions and and the invitation for each of us to kind of join in a similar uh, deal with the Spirit uh, on a process. So to launch us uh, off a little context um, of Paul, we've been in this series now uh, for a while, and I think it's good to just kind of refresh ourselves, anchor ourselves back into where we're at. So part of Paul's timeline uh, up until where we are today, uh, he was born about 5 AD. Um, We, you know, a lot of these things too, depending on your Bibles, commentaries, it's pieced together as best they can, so it's not super... uh, Specific, you'll see contradictions in places. Martyrdom of Stephen. So you remember that scene with Saul overseeing it. That's about 35 AD. Uh, And of course, Paul's conversion at the same time. And then interestingly, we have uh, Paul's trip to Arabia. And and you'll see here on the timeline, it's three years. I like to look at um, Paul and the disciples and their, their lives laid out in kind of a chronological time because I think it's very easy. You can sit down and read large chunks of the Gospels or Acts or Paul's letters, you know, in fairly brief time. And so it's easy for us to mistakenly think this is rapid fire that Paul was somehow on these journeys. He's just rushing from place to place and and he's um, doing these miraculous things every day or every other day. Uh, But the reality is he moves like we move. Um, probably much slower than us, uh, their method of travel and communication. He's very intentional. He's very um, focused. And he really only moves, if you pay attention to these journeys we'll look at over the next few weeks, when he has to move. A lot of times he's forced to move spot to spot. Um, As we know, it's very expensive today to travel, and it was very expensive then to travel. Very expensive to write scrolls, to possess and write down things was serious, important, and expensive. And so that's part of what's happening with Paul. And Luke will show us over and over and over that as the gospel spreads and there's acceptance, there's also uh, resistance to that. There's also pain and hardship and rejection along the way. So from uh, Paul's conversion, he's blinded. We, Steve preached on, on that. There's the blinding and the, uh, you know, the scales fall from his eyes and he sees clearly and he moves. Uh, we find out in Galatians, a letter Paul wrote, uh, something interesting. He gives us more of his timeline. This is from Galatians 1. Paul says, uh, after that scene on the way to Damascus, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. So if you say, well, wait a minute, how do you know he went to Arabia? You're not going to find it in Acts. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, Luke says, uh, he says something like, a few days later. That's what Luke says. Damascus scene, and then in a few days, Paul went to Jerusalem. Three years. Thank you, Luke. So, three years. Uh, Continuing in Galatians, 
uh, Paul, Galatians, Paul says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter, right? Fascinating that Paul still calls him by that name. Uh, and I stayed with him 15 days. All right, so he's marking the time. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I'm writing, what I'm writing is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So AD 35 to 38, Paul's away in Arabia. What's he doing during that time? The Spirit is teaching him, right? It's, uh, the Spirit is working out his history of Judaism, his zealousness for God, who Jesus is, how the Scriptures work into all this, uh, the healing, the retraining, the restoration of who Paul is. That, it didn't happen in a weekend or a month or a camp or a retreat. It happened over three years. Then he returns and does his two-week visit to Jerusalem that he talks about. Then he spends four or five years in Syria and Cilicia doing ministry. Um, kind of cutting his teeth, uh, spreading, talking about the gospel, interacting with people. And then we come to where we are today, which is his first missionary journey, two or three years on the road, traveling around. And uh, that is where most scholars think he actually wrote the letter to the church in Galatia. But we're going to look at this, chapters 13 and 14. This, I know, is hard to see. We'll get a close-up in a minute. Um, Thought it would be good. Some of us like geography and we like the visual thing and the maps. You can see here in the red and blue, uh, Paul's travel. That gives you frames it where we're at in the Mediterranean, okay? So we have over here, you see Jerusalem down on the far right. Uh, and then you have his trip. And we'll stick with this one here. This is where we're going to be today as we travel through 13 and 14. The blue uh, line is the outgoing travel, and the red is the return, as laid out by Luke in Acts 13 and 14, with some highlights of activity here. So that's what we're going to be doing. You ready? So we're going to start in uh, Acts 13. We're going to go to verse 4, and um, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. There's two Antiochs in uh, our journeys today. This one is over the one in Syria, which is on the right hand of this photo, home base for this trip. The believers and disciples are gathered. It says kind of here's some of who they are. They're praying, they're fasting, they're worshiping. The Spirit says, hey, send Paul and Barnabas. Launch them on this. They're commissioned, and off they go. Verse 4, the two of them, meaning Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. That's John Mark, and he has an important role uh, in Acts. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. So you have a Jewish sorcerer, this guy's uh, and this government official. This is what they encounter. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So they are summoned by a government official to come and visit. But Elimas, the sorcerer, 
for that is what his name means, same guy, the same Bar-Jesus guy, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him. He groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So they're off with a bang in their missionary journey. Note, if you have your scriptures open, in verse 11, uh, a callback to Paul's blindness, right? You remember Paul's conversion. How did it come about? He's traveling with some people to Damascus. He's confronted by Jesus. There's a voice, there's a light, and he, as a result, he cannot see. And the text says that he is led by his hand to Damascus where he's going to await for Ananias to come and and, uh, minister to him and for God to work. So uh, here's my question. I don't have an answer for you, just some questions. Is Paul's confrontation, you are... Uh, like the devil, you're full of deceit and trickery, and his, his calling of blindness on the sorcerer, is that a curse? Or is that a blessing of God? Well, something to think about. Uh, how is it that God comes to us? Now, one thing is clear from this story. Those who oppose Jesus are blind. Right? So if you want to go low-hanging fruit on this story, the obvious one is, look, if you oppose Jesus, you're blind in more ways than one. And sometimes, just like in Paul's story, your spiritual blindness is, is connected to your physical blindness. All through the Gospels, in Luke's, some of Luke's writing, as well as here in Acts, physical blindness is always connected to, it's a message of, spiritual blindness. Those who oppose Jesus are blind. Um, Jesus and his followers, their priority, and I, I do believe Paul has the heart that while he's speaking this truth to this sorcerer, he's also going after this Jewish man. He's, he, I think it would make sense that Paul sees some of himself in this Jewish man. And while no one wants to be physically blind, Paul must know that was the best thing that ever happened to him. The confrontation of Jesus on his life that brought about his blindness really was a way to show him exactly where he was, right? Aren't we in our culture so consumed with physical stuff, material matter, our bodies, our cars, our homes? We want everything in working order, don't we? It's so unsettling when the kitchen sink won't drain. It's so unsettling when there's a flat tire or the transmission goes out. It's so unsettling when you break a hip. It's so unsettling. (laughs) That was beautiful. 
It's so unsettling when physical things happen to us. But uh, I, my experience is that when God, whether you, we could have the debate, does he cause it or does he use it? But all the physical things in my life, which I thought were the undoing of everything I wanted, guess what God does with that? He leverages it to get at a person's heart and to show you, ah, your priority, your place of confidence and trust, they are not right. And so I will leverage the hardship in your life, the suffering in your life, to go after your heart. The biological, physical realm isn't all there is, and the disciples get that. Paul gets that. We seem to be confused often. To see clearly is to know the path to right relationship with God. It's not to make it to our retirement and get to do everything we had planned in this realm, uh, regardless of what God may or may want to do. To relinquish everything and follow him at all costs. I think this sorcerer, it's like Paul's like, finally, now you have a chance. He gropes around blind and no one taking his hand. Okay, now we have a shot. It's something good for you. Interestingly, the proconsul sees this and he believes and is amazed at what? The blindness, the power, the miracle, huh? the teaching about the Lord. Whatever Paul and Barnabas are teaching, gospel teaching, here we go. One last comment on this, and we have to cruise. Power in Luke's gospel in Act, it seems to be ambiguous for Luke. Uh, we tend to gravitate towards the, or I do, I'll just say I do, the power, the miracles, the, the flash, the bang. For Luke um, and in his gospel, power is not just about power. It's about the power of Christ. Straight power, even if it's for good, is liable to be misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misappropriated, right? The power of the gospel, as we see here in verse 12, the power of the gospel is for salvation. It's for healing. It's for people to focus on who Christ is and the relational repair and restoration that he brings. So that's why I'm more and more convinced that when Paul calls maybe a curse down on the sorcerer, it's ultimately for the good. That power is meant to do something for the healing, restoration, and reconnection of people with who God is. Those who are physically healed die, right? This, uh, people who physically healed throughout the gospel, they're still mortal. So certainly this can't be the whole part of the deal. It's part of it, um, but it's not the whole deal. When I was 27, 28, I blew my left knee out playing basketball, ACL. Felt like I stepped on a landmine. Uh, I zigged when I should have zagged, and uh, my knee blew up, and I whimpered like a dog who got hit by a car. It was very terrible. And there was, uh, do you guys remember these groups in the 90s, the power teams? They would like do weird stuff like bend rebar and break bats and carry refrigerators. And they're like, God loves you. And you're like, I don't, okay. Um, so there was a guy from one of these power teams there at the gym. And I was hurt and I was like, oh, this is terrible. And he was like, I went out to a car with a friend and he said, hey, can I pray for you? And I was like, yeah like pull out all the stops. And I fully expected that this big guy would pray for healing of my knee, right? Like take away the pain. Let's go. Let's get this fixed up. Guess what he prayed for? 
None of that. It was the weirdest prayer at the time for me. He prayed about my heart connection to God. He prayed about my ministry, future ministry. He, I thought, this guy is weird. Pray for the knee, bro. <laughs> I think he ripped too many phone books in half. <laughs> I was like, let's get to the issue at hand, dude. I'm broken. Let's go. Uh, and he, none of that. He went right out. It was, and it took years before I could look back and go, oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Something, that opportunity, something more at hand. God is after our core, the deepest part of who we are. So Paul and Barnabas, Antioch down to the island of Cyprus, Paphos, we see this interaction and now they're going to head north. Moving on in the text, they uh, run up all the way up top to Antioch in Pisidia. Paul goes to the synagogue there, that's his custom, and he delivers a speech and sermon. And in that speech, I'm not going to read it to you, you can read it. He says, Jesus was a full member of David's royal line, and he is the fulfillment of God's promises. His resurrection validates it. And God has acted with finality through Jesus. So you need not miss this. And an important verse in there, verse 38, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So Paul, to his own people, he's going into synagogues. He's saying, hey, Jesus is the Messiah and restoration and reconciliation and return from exile and all that that you've waited for from that Moses promised, it has come to you in the person of Jesus. Exile is over. Verse 42 in chapter 13. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When, he saw Jews, or when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we will now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what God has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and left to, and went to Iconium. And here we go. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So in this scene, there, Paul gives a sermon or speech in the synagogue. Throughout the week, there's teaching. And then we have division and clashing and confrontation and disagreement. They are persecuted, abused, and expelled. Gentiles hear and respond to the message of Jesus. And the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul and Barnabas move on. Acts 14, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. 
There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it, and they fled the Laconian cities of, to, of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Stoning, by the way, that was, right, Stephen, that's how he was martyred. Um, throwing rocks, right? But if you look into that, I'll spare you, but if you kind of go on a search of the historical stoning, it's pretty nasty stuff. A lot of times it involved tying your, your hands behind your back, maybe your feet, shoving you off a cliff, and then dropping large boulders on you. Um, it wasn't like, it could involve, you know, just picking up rocks and throwing, but uh, it's pretty gnarly, nasty uh, process of a way to, to get rid of somebody. That's the, the plan is happening, and so they move right, from Iconium, and then they move down to Lystra, and they're going to go to, to Derby. But there's a mix. Luke is showing us, hey, the gospel's on the move. Paul and Barnabas are being faithful. There's acceptance. There's rejection. There's danger. There's risk. There's people responding, and there's people also, they want nothing to do with it, right? So this is part of their reality. Moving along, Acts 14.8. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. If you follow the Gospels, Luke is setting you up with this verse, right? Does this conjure any other memories of Jesus or Peter or any? So as they move, they come to this city and there's a man who's crippled and he's listening to Paul. And you should say, ah, this will be interesting, right? Moving on, the other verses, Paul looked directly at him, same phrase with the sorcerer in Paphos, and saw he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Luke 5, Jesus heals a paralytic. Acts 3, Peter heals a crippled beggar. Acts 9, heal, uh, Peter heals a paralytic. And here in Acts 14, Paul, the same spirit that's with Jesus, the same spirit that's with Peter, is also now with Paul. And this spirit has, has wisdom, it has discernment, the Holy Spirit has power. And Paul, seeing this man has faith to be healed, makes a command and the gospel is enacted in this guy's life. He starts walking around. Acts 14, verse 11 when the crowd saw what Paul had done, this is a, a public pagan crowd, by the way, you'll notice, like they're just kind of out in the marketplace. They shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Is that, I think when Steve and I go places, that's usually what people shout. <laughs> yeah, no? no? Um, Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. 
causes quite, quite the stir. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news and telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. It's a fascinating deal. Do you notice? this? It's easy to skip over, actually. In this section, this scene in Acts, Paul is not mentioning Torah. There's no reference of Scripture. Paul is not referencing Israel. Guess what else Paul hasn't said in this whole scene? He doesn't even mention Jesus. Do you notice that? Even in his command to the crippled beggar, he just says, stand up, you get up. Now we can assume Paul's teaching the gospel and preaching, but in his speech right here, he talks about God and creation and how God gives graciously good things and that everything they're relying on is worthless and empty. But it's fascinating. We're going to look at this. We're going to land this of how Paul, he pays attention and he's aware of his context and his surroundings and where he's at. Then some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Bum, bum, bum. And they won the crowd over. So his detractors are following him. They get to to this scene, they convince everybody, and they stone Paul and drag him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So Lystra, they're mistaken for gods, and Paul is stoned. That's really funny in Colorado to say that. And then they move... They move to Derby. Okay, so we're on the end. We've, right? Are you tracking this? We've reached the end right there. Verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city, Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. He goes back. They're trying to kill him. They literally tried to kill him at Lystra. They had a plan to kill him at Iconium. And there's, it's all riled up in Antioch. And yet Paul and Barnabas return in that route, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And then he says this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they, were, they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So here we go. Um, let's do a case study of what we just read and looked at. Connecting call and context. So if you want to 
uh, there'll be four things. We're going to look at Paul in each of those scenes, and then we have a question for ourselves. Scene number one, and you can write this if you're a note taker or if you have a steel trap as a mind, just like Marvin, then you don't need to write anything. Um, four things, location, people, interaction, and the result or the fruit, okay? Location, first spot, Cyprus, specifically the city of Paphos. Uh, people, we have a proconsul, uh, that's a government official, and we have the sorcerer, right? Uh, magic, uh, pagan, religious worship, whatever. Um, so we have those two people. The interaction, gospel teaching, direct confrontation, and display of power. There are times when Paul will directly confront, and he will speak very clearly and, and very directly to people. Uh, the result or the fruit is that we have a blind sorcerer, and then we have a proconsul who believes and is amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Okay? Um, one thing to highlight on these location um, people in this story, they invite Paul and Barnabas. The proconsul is like, hey, I've heard he invites, they come by invitation. Um, and then the result in the fruit section largely is out of our control, isn't it? Paul and Barnabas are just being faithful. They do not, they don't know. They don't know if they'll try to get, someone will try to kill them, if someone will be healed, if people will accept Christ, reject Christ. They don't know. The result and the fruit, that's not, it is what it is. God does what he does. Next, another one, location, Pisidian Antioch. They go to a synagogue, so that's the location. Um, the people, Jews or, you know, those Judaism. You have Gentiles and also converts, converts to Judaism. The interaction is not some confrontational, uh, miraculous power. It's a speech. It's a sermon using history and tradition and scripture and a declaration of Gentile inclusion. And the result and fruit of that is Gentile belief and salvation, persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and then the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The third location we looked at, uh, Lystra, so a public setting, um, people, the Gentiles, uh, we can assume pagan, doesn't seem like there's much influence there based on their behavior and their worship of Zeus and all that. Uh, some Jews uh, show up, so you've got interaction with Judaism. The interaction, speaking, teaching, uh, Paul's command to the cripple to get up. Uh, Paul and Barnabas give a clear challenge to the belief system, right? Clearly challenge the culture and the system that those who are worshiping Zeus are tied up in. Um, but he does so wisely, discerning. He doesn't mention Torah, Israel, or even Jesus. And the result and fruit of that, the lame man is healed. Uh, there's a mistaken identity uh, for Paul and Barnabas. And then Paul is stoned and left for dead. Um, and good news of Jesus spreads throughout the region. Okay? So when we think of connecting calling, and we can do this all through, you can do it all through Acts. You could apply those four things, just a very simple observation, like what am I seeing in Luke's story? And the question for us, I think Luke is saying, he's showing us Paul and Barnabas, and he's asking us, how are you living into your call in your context? How do we live out our call in our context? What has call, God called you to do, sent you to do, and how are you doing that? in your context. And we saw in the text that Paul and Barnabas say, we must go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God. If we aren't experiencing difficulty, resistance, 
hardship, that's a good filter for us. What then? This will always be mixed. How does this go? So here we go. Here's your homework. Connecting your call and context. Location. Where are you? And you can dig down specifically, you know, Greeley, Evans, Windsor, other, uh, school, you know, your place of employment, your place of uh, whatever, sports, the things. Who is there? The people, right? Let's get real basic. Where are you? Who's there? What people are around you? The coffee shop, the brewery, the whatever. Who, is, who are you surrounded with in those settings? Interaction. What is needed? How can I demonstrate the love, truth, and grace of Jesus in this location with these people? Right? Do we ask, are we, have we been discipled and trained? I think that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. You know, they were paying attention. What does this city need? What do these people need? What, what does the gospel, is it confrontation? Is it grace? Is it healing? Is it a sermon speech? Is it teaching? Is it dialogue? What, what is needed? And then the f- result and fruit, what will happen as a result of that? What is God doing? And wouldn't it be pretty incredible for us uh, if we were doing this, as a church, if we walk this out, and then we came back and reported to one another, right? Um, what kind of stories would we have? Hey, I tr- there was this guy at a gas station, and I went and tried to do this, and he flipped me off and broke my window because I was trying to, pr- I was trying to share something about the gospel with him. That's awesome! Right on, man! Um, right? Like, do we, the result or the fruit of what God is doing, we don't control. We're asked to engage and connect our call with our context and engage it and see. Imagine the stories Paul and Barnabas had three years, two or three years. We've got a little snippet of two chapters. Imagine all the failure. Imagine all the other thing. It just says, oh, God enabled them with, you know, they could do wonders, perform miracles, That's it. We don't have the specifics of that. Just incredible, incredible stuff. What would God do as a result if we would connect our call and our context just like Paul and Barnabas did? That would be a crazy, fun adventure to be on together, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your work in our lives, your invitation to us to join you uh, in your work in the movement of the Spirit. We're grateful to have the record of Paul and Barnabas uh, that Luke gave to us about their adventures following you. And Lord, we pray that that wouldn't just be something that lives in a page, but that you would cause that to come alive in our own lives as we take risk and we uh, step with you and towards you into our community, uh, bringing about your truth and your love and your grace to those around us. We ask for the courage to do that. Uh, Lord, just for the excitement to be able to engage with you for the benefit of those who don't know you and for the restoration of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.